Welcome to this special episode of IraCast. I'm Janine Stanley, your host and producer, and this time on IraCast, we'll be talking with Veronica Lewis and Jessica Karim, both of whom are college students, and Peter Bosley of Ohio State University about how COVID-19 has affected services for students with disabilities. My name is Veronica Lewis, and I am a student at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia, studying data science and assistive technology with a special interest in visual impairment and seeing how technology can help people with low vision and blindness to access the world around them. I also run the website, Veronica Before Eyes, where I share almost 600 posts about a variety of topics related to visual impairment, assistive technology, college success, design, and so much more. I'm 20 right now. I'm, I'll be a junior in the fall. I'm a social work major. Uh, I go to school at Adelphi, which is not too far from where I live, about 45 minutes, small, private, relatively suburban campus. I love to read, love to swim, love to talk to friends, just your normal, you know, teenager, adult things. Let's talk a little bit about Ira. When did you become an explorer and what's your explorer journey been like? So I don't actually remember when exactly I became an explorer, but I remember I first learned about IRA when I was attending a conference that the FCC put on for assistive technology in Washington, D.C. And I remember I was walking around the tables and trying to figure out what should I write about, what looks interesting. And one of my friends said, you got to go check out the IRA table. And I'm like, what's an IRA? I've never heard of this before. <laughs> I think this was in 2017, actually. I ended up going over to the table and immediately became fascinated with the program and the back-to-college program as well, with being able to give free IRA to students who are attending college. I became an explorer a couple of months later, and I've since then used IRA for both exploring on campus, helping with my homework, and exploring off campus. I initially learned about IRA because I saw a lot of people posting about it. This was in 2018, right before I started college. And then I did some research and found out that they were doing a back-to-school program. And I ended up contacting a few of the uh, recipients of the program from the year prior and just kind of ended up asking them, hey, you know, I'm interested. What did you use IRA for? How did it impact you? And I just found the whole concept of virtual assistance very intriguing, just as someone that was kind of going from a situation where I was living at home to a situation where I'm the only blind student on campus and I know virtually no one. I filled out the application and I got the equipment right before I started uh, freshman year. I remember uh, you talking actually on social media about how to get Ira on your campus. And we are so excited to say that we did that. We did. It's definitely a process. Like for me, a lot of what I've had to do as a blind person, as a person of color, is all my life has been advocate. And I ended up having to do some promotional work for Ira in early October of my freshman year just because they wanted to see how I did it on campus. And I did a route to, I think I just did a very short, probably like a five minute route from my dorm room to Starbucks and got a cup of coffee as college students do. I headed back and they aired it and they put it in our school's email newsletter. And I contacted my disabilities office and was kind of like, listen, this is a really useful product. And I am not going to be a part of this scholarship program forever. And there are just certain things, you know, when I hit college, I 
had never really given thought to navigating crowds or, you know, getting around when, you know, there are a lot of people, most importantly, academics, where I need to format a paper to look a certain way. And I get a lot of inaccessible PDFs that I need to get scanned and edited for or navigating the dining hall or reading a menu or just all these little things that you wouldn't think about that I really had never had to think about until I was in a situation where I was living virtually on my own. With that, you know, they were like, you know, we have to think about it because, you know, it's a whole thing. And it was the whole thing where it's like, it is an accommodation, but it's also considered a personal service because I'm the only blind student. And I was like, listen, I'm the only blind student, but I might not always be the only blind student. And then right. they contacted me in, I believe it was, hmm, I think like January or February, just kind of to have a meeting. And they're like, okay, we will fund it. Now, the process of that took a while just on there and getting all the financial things done and getting that process done. And I remember it was like, I believe it was like November of the next year. So it took a while to get spearheaded, but I was doing a PowerPoint and I logged on at like three o'clock in the morning and <laughs> in an IRA access location. And I went into my bathroom because our room has a bathroom and I called and I got an agent. And I'm like, hi, I really don't have a thing to do, but our school is an IRA access site and I need someone to celebrate with because it was obviously, you know, <laughs> and knowing our overnight crew, that was probably a big celebration. Oh yeah. She was so happy. She was like, that's great. And then I also emailed my disabilities office, just like, thank you. You know, it's been such an important part of my life on college campuses, just with everything regarding access and accessibility that, you know, sometimes in college things take longer, longer than some tears allow. And it's nice to be able to just call whenever and have access to that. Let's talk about being on campus. If someone is attending classes, how can Ira help them? How have you experienced using Ira on campus? So a lot of my experiences using IRA on campus have related to being able to navigate buildings and finding things. Uh, my university has a lot of construction and it can be difficult to predict what routes will be open versus closed on any given day. And I know that I can rely on IRA to help me figure out how to navigate obstacles in real time. I'm very lucky to be in a major where they have a very high emphasis on making sure that all materials are accessible. But when I was in another major, where it was less easy to find accessible materials. I used Ira to be able to help me navigate websites and to be able to help me with reading information because I'm not very well trained in using a screen reader. So being able to have the on-demand visual assistance and being able to tell someone exactly what I needed to see and get the guidance on how to be able to open things was really helpful. You will be attending classes this summer virtually and through the fall, as will many students, I'm sure, in the colleges and universities around the country. How do you think you'll be using IRA? Will it be pretty much the same, do you think? I've actually been using IRA a little bit more right now. So I'm in uh, summer classes through a community college for taking calculus. And I've used IRA to be able to help me with navigating some parts of our homework software that are a little bit difficult to use, specifically for graphing. So I've been able to get assistance with not only interpreting graphs and seeing which points fall where, but also with being able to graph things myself. Mm -hmm. I think having that type of visual assistance is really helpful, and it's reassuring to the community college as well because they know I'm using people who have a background in accessibility and who have strict confidentiality standards, so they don't have to worry about me cheating or things like that. Uh, and see, that's something I think a lot of people have not considered. When 
really looking at IRA as a solution either for their students, if they're administrators of a college or university, or as a student to kind of prove your validity. Yeah, it's actually really helpful because I had to reassure one of my professors at one point who wondered why I was using a visual assistant. And the visual assistant actually came on and said, I want to reassure you, professor, I don't understand anything of what's going on. I'm just a pair of eyes here. And that helped to really help to grow that confidence with my professors and letting me feel comfortable with being able to use assistive technology in the classroom. How have you been able to use Ira for any social distancing when you're going out and about? I actually haven't. I haven't really left the house. Um, I know no, that actually, feeling. <laughs> I've been in. The, I've been in the car. I've been in the car, um, and I've walked across the street to my cousin's house. And honestly, right now, that's kind of it for me. I think that I need to. In when I go back, I need to definitely invest in some kind of head mount, chest mount thingy because I obviously can't social distance and. I'm kind of wondering how that's going to work, especially on campus if we do go back where there's a lot of people and not a lot of space, because I think it's important for us to be aware, like make ourselves aware of social distancing, even if we can't necessarily follow the protocols to the T, have that knowledge just to keep everyone, you know, relatively safe. I would tell them to make sure that you have disability service accommodations before the first day of school and to embrace using technology and disclosing disability whenever possible. I know it's tempting to try and keep it secret that you are visually impaired or that you need a lot of these tools. I know I was one of those students where I really wanted to pretend in high school that I could see really well because I could see how frustrating it was for my teachers and others around me to have to do accommodations and things like that. But the truth is that by pretending to not be visually impaired, it ended up really adversely affecting my grades. And it was a big disaster, really, because I didn't have a lot of the skills I would need for assistive technology in college either. So I missed out on the formative years of being able to develop assistive technology skills and ended up coming into college going, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) So my biggest advice would be to be upfront. Uh, invest in assistive technology skills whenever possible. Make sure to take the time so you know how to use a screen reader, you know how to get large print, you know how to get all of these different accommodations because not all professors are going to hand them to you. You're going to have to do the work yourself to make sure that things are accessible. I definitely think that you really do need to be persistent, especially if your school is small. My school is pretty tiny. There are only 5,000 undergrads. And if it's something that you really need, you need to be able to kind of just explicitly say why you need it. Like a lot of what I said was academic, but I was also like, listen, there are a lot of programs on campus that I don't have access to because they're visual. Or what if I need to use, I've had instances where I've needed films described that were, you know, in foreign languages with subtitles that I could not have access to, you know, things that your school's disabilities office might not be able to provide, especially where editing is concerned, you know, as a college freshman going, especially if you're visually impaired, you're going from a situation where you probably weren't graded as highly on, you know, spelling and grammar and stuff in high school where it matters and you want to make sure you have someone that will, whose job it is to literally sit there and pick all your things to make sure it looks right. Or even like, you know, I live with roommates, but they're not always around. Like, what if I need help stapling pages? Just these 
little minute things that you wouldn't even think about when it comes to IRA that make a world of difference when you're in that situation and you don't have it. So definitely be persistent, advocate, reach out to people because it's better to reach out and get an answer than it is to just sit and wonder like, okay, are they going to say no? Are they going to say yes? And it's going to probably take a while for me. It took quite a while to get this funding spearheaded. But if you start early, like I started in October of my freshman year and it took roughly about a year by November of sophomore year, they were pretty much set with it. So just um, be aware. We're talking with Pete Bosley, the Deputy ADA Coordinator for The Ohio State University. Hello, Pete, and thank you for talking with us today. My pleasure. Pete, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and your position with the university and your experience with IRA. So I am in kind of a weird position. Personally, being legally blind, I have lots of interest in assistive technology and sort of the accessibility landscape. I also do that work professionally. So as as you said, I'm a deputy ADA coordinator with Ohio State University. And my main role on a day-to-day basis is to oversee the university's digital accessibility compliance program. Um, and so I have some oversight into the accessibility of technologies that are being deployed on campus and the things that are being done in the in the sort of digital world. And you are also an IRA customer. Tell us a little bit about your use of IRA. This is interesting. Uh, you know, the the sort of remote help via uh, camera is a uh, is something that some of us in the community had been doing with friends and family, just using FaceTime. Um, and when IRA sort of made that formalized and and kind of made it made it a more robust offering it was it was kind of an interesting aha for for folks i think that um that really was super useful in a lot of cases where we might have otherwise not really realized that and so um you know i was interested in it from a from a professional and a personal standpoint i thought it was an interesting idea um, i didn't know how well it would be executed at scale and and what the challenges might be certainly with the navigation type features and and the limited field of view of smartphone cameras, I thought some of those pieces would be would be kind of challenging, and so I decided to to, to try it out and like really found that um, yes, there were some there were some challenges, but definitely was uh, much more useful than than I would have thought. The campus landscape has certainly changed a lot since the beginning of the year. Let's talk a little bit about how things are going to be changing in the future. I know COVID-19 has sort of sent us all back to our our hovels, wherever we are, uh, to do our distance learning. But coming up in the fall, uh, Ohio State is a very large campus, a very large university. How are things going to change for students at Ohio State? Well, um, a lot of that is still up in the air. And so some of it we haven't figured out yet. But I think generally you are going to see significant changes in the the, the pattern of life that uh, the university had. So, you know, yes, we're all mostly anyway uh, remote at this point. Um, that transition was very rapid over the spring. It was like one week we were doing everything as normal. And within two weeks, um, the, the campus was effectively shut down uh, other than kind of really essential services. And, and so as we reverse that trend, uh, we're going to do that 
not as quickly as we as we did it the other way, right? The the sort of public health guidance and the safety concerns are top of mind for for leadership at Ohio State and for I, I you know I think individuals are are worried about it for themselves and for their family members and loved ones. And so as we as we do that, you know, doing that in a cautious and careful way and and setting things up to be able to provide reasonable levels of safety, I think is going to be it's going to be a very interesting challenge. What I think we'll see from a from a sort of blindness perspective um, is there's going to be changes in the way traffic flows, pedestrian traffic flows in and around buildings and academic spaces. And I see those as being uh, potential challenges uh, because there's going to be signage that directs people, for example, which doors they can use to come in a building and which doors they use to leave a building to, to sort of help the flow of pedestrian traffic and not create um, bottlenecks where people are getting crowded and too close together. And it's it's already a large and somewhat confusing campus. So having these additional kinds of signage and direction that aren't particularly accessible, and I, I'm not sure how you would make something like that completely accessible without some sort of alternative input, it is certainly going to be an interesting time. How about in the the dormitories, the living spaces? Will uh, students be coming back to those spaces? Do you know yet? So there will be um, there will be students living on campus. I think we have too large of a of a residential population to to avoid that entirely. Um, however, the the housing plan does sort of call for reducing the density of of our traditional student living spaces and and moving moving students to um, giving them the ability to have appropriate social distancing and and try to to limit the large gatherings that are that are potential risk points so um, we will we will have students living on campus I just uh, don't think there will be as many I mean there is there is a, a very strong push to to keep that number manageable and what about speaking of large crowds? Obviously, uh, drawing the public into a large university. You know, I'm going to go here. What about the football season? What about organized sports or other large gatherings of uh, university supporters? How will that be handled? I honestly do not have any idea. That's uh, <laughs> that's not anything that we have tackled directly at this stage. Sorry, I can't provide any insight there, but I, I see that as being a very similar challenge as um, as we've been sort of talking. The the paradigm is don't get too many people in, in a confined space. Um, right. And while we may be able to manage something like that in, in, say, the stadium environment, if we spread people out a little bit, the entry and the the kind of check-in process at many of those events would be problematic to to do with with those space guidelines in mind and so i don't really know what's going to happen there and i think that's going to be something we'll have to to sort of see what leadership decides when when we get closer to those i know i i mean i know those conversations are are being had i just haven't haven't been sure part of and them. i know you know things can change very quickly as the 
levels of infection with the virus change very quickly too. So all of this could be a moot point, you know, come August. If Absolutely. I mean, Ohio, Ohio State has... Ohio State has some of the the you know the world's most renowned experts in infectious disease and and you know we're we're managing this in in close conversation with those experts and and you know state and federal health authorities and so you know everything's subject to change based on conditions on the ground. I don't think there's any world in which the university environment feels like it did last fall, right? Mm-hmm. I think we're we're we are going to see a heavy reliance on remote classroom, you know, distance learning functions, just as we've done over the spring and summer. And I think the, the the real push is going to be to only have those things that really can't effectively be done at distance be be done on campus. And and to the extent that we can kind of maintain that paradigm, I think we will. And you did a wonderful segue there into distance learning as everyone was forced into distance learning this spring. You do see that going on into the fall, correct? I do, and and frankly, I mean, I'm not I'm not providing any special insight here. I'm I'm more speaking from my personal personal experience and instinct here. But I anticipate that that you know n- nationally, we're going to see this trend last for a while. It's probably we're probably looking at this for the rest of this academic year, certainly into next calendar year. And until we until we really have enough data to know for sure what the what the outcome of bringing people slowly back to campus is, and potentially until there's an effective treatment or a vaccine, I mean, I think that that's really the end end goal of of all of the measures we've been taking is uh, not to let the world collapse around us, but to slow things down enough and to spend enough uh, time gathering the data that we have more information about what we're doing because it just seems so unclear at this point uh, what the what the limitations and the right moves really are. When it comes to the accessibility of online learning platforms, can you give us a kind of a broad picture of what Ohio State uses to maintain accessibility wherever possible in that kind of environment? So Ohio State uses Canvas, which is uh, kind of the, the emerging player in learning management systems. Uh, we've been using Canvas for a few years now and and we have an, we have an active digital accessibility compliance program that is just starting to ramp up as we sort of roll out a revised policy to our campus. And so we're, we're working on rolling out those more mature processes to, to uh, more evenly ensure accessibility across the, the entire enterprise. Many of our units do a very good job now of, of for, for accessibility, and certainly our traditional model of our disability services, our student disability services office uh, providing accommodations to students um, is, is certainly a national leader, and, and we're continuing those efforts to ensure that we provide students accommodations uh, wherever needed. But the institution is really looking to become more proactive in this space, and so we are we are now sort of moving moving some of that into the into the academic units themselves. We'll we'll always have that student disability services office available to students in, in the cases where something sort of isn't isn't working right or hasn't has maybe fallen through the cracks. Um, that's something that, that that we never anticipate 
not having a need for, but the the overarching goal of of OSU is to become more inclusive as a whole. As a college administrator, what would you say to other university staff around the country and uh, and in all of the countries that we serve about adding IRA as an accommodation for their students? Was that a difficult process at Ohio State, or how how would you say that they maybe should look at this process? So I think when you look at when you look at something like IRA, you know, lots of lots of times there's there's sort of a, a hunger for a tool to solve the problem and and I think I think you you really want to approach that with a little bit of caution right I, I there's there is no magic solution that that makes your university inclusive especially in the digital space it requires hard work it requires changing the way that you think about things it requires changing the way you create things the way you buy things but if you think of if you think of IRA as a safety net, if you think of IRA as a, a way to provide students with uh, some level of independence and the ability to access things that you're working on making more accessible and the way, a, a way to overcome some of the inherent accessibility barriers in the physical environment, then I think, I think you've got a, a, a template there to, to put IRA as your as sort of your safety net of of providing access and and to still continue the work you're doing to be inclusive and in, and in, in making your your online space accessible. There are things that we don't really know how to make accessible right now, and we don't have a good way to make them accessible at this moment. And my my classic example of this is something that's inherently visual. Uh, I need to draw a shape on my screen. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know how to make that non-visually accessible. Now, maybe we'll, maybe, maybe, maybe Apple will wow us with something or maybe Microsoft will come up with something. But, but at, at this time, I don't, I can't conceive of a good way to do that. Uh, but there are things that, you know, there are things that can be made accessible, but in the meantime, while you're working on making those things accessible, you know, something like IRA makes great sense as a, as a sort of an interim measure. Regarding funding of IRA, can you discuss that a little bit about how universities can look at the actual dollars and cents of providing this kind of accommodation? So I think when you're looking at funding, you have to think about the, you know, the different areas that benefit from, from having IRA. It's everybody from, from your disability services office to your ADA office, and, and those are kind of the obvious ones. But if you think about your orientation group or your uh, athletics department, places that serve large swaths of the public. If you've got a medical center, your medical center, where where you know they might they might invest in the infrastructure improvement of having IRA available for people that need assistance, and and sort of look at look at that cost as a we're gonna we're gonna provide this value add for for people with disabilities so that. Um, so they don't necessarily have to come to us and ask for help. And I think that's that's one approach that, that might make sense at some institutions to, to look at funding. And that is definitely an excellent aspect that I think gets overlooked a lot of the number of people that are coming into the university besides your students. And especially if you do have a lot of medical facilities, a lot of research facilities, you are going to have a larger population coming in there. And uh, IRA is one of the many good solutions that are out there for providing information and access. 
Special thanks to Veronica Lewis, Jessica Karim, and Pete Bosley. If you'd like to learn more about IRA in higher education, you can go to our website, www.ira.io access, or call our customer care team at 1-800-835-1934. This has been Janine Stanley for IRAcast. <laughs>